I want to remind you that we're, we're still in the section of 1 Kings that has to do with both the building and the dedication of the temple. It will not be until chapter 12 that we see a division in the kingdom and, and hopefully I'm going to be able to help you track, uh, keep track of the kings of the different kingdoms, whether it's the northern or southern kingdom, the, the priests, the prophets, so forth and so on. We'll get into more of that then, obviously, once those events transpire. Uh, at this point, uh, we have been starting each week just simply reading the text. And uh, yes, chapter 8 is a long chapter. But I think it would help us if we would go ahead and read it now before we get started. And of course, tonight we'll be talking about subject matter, uh, dedicating God's house. So chapter 8, verse 1, Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark and overshadowed the Ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place, and they are still there today. There was, there was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. When the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priest could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them. Then he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there, but I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, You did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood. He is the one who will build the temple for my name. 
The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised, and I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven, and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you have promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When anyone wrongs their neighbor and is required to take an oath, and they come and swear the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing down on their heads what they have done and vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they've sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave their ancestors. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plague comes to the land or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, or when an enemy besages them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own hearts and spreading out their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to to all they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know every human heart, so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our ancestors. 
As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. When your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands far away or near, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned, we've done wrong, we've acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I've built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and cause their captors to show them mercy. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of that iron-smelting furnace. May your... Eyes be open to your servant's plea and to the plea of your people Israel. And may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you. For you singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance, just as you declared through your servant Moses when you, sovereign Lord, brought our ancestors out of Egypt. When Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice, saying, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him, to walk in obedience to him and keep the commands, decrees, and laws he gave our ancestors. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord, 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord. On that same day, the king consecrated the middle part of the courtyard 
in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar that stood before the Lord was too small to hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings. So Solomon observed the festival at that time, and all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Lebo, Hamath, to the wadi of Egypt, they celebrated it before the Lord our God for seven days and seven days more, 14 days in all. On the following day, he sent the people away. They blessed the king and then went home, joyful and glad in heart for all the good things the Lord had done for his servant David and his people Israel. Now folks, when we come to chapter 8, obviously we see that both the construction of the temple and the furnishing of the temple is now completed. And with that being completed, there's only one thing left to do. And what is that? It's time to dedicate the temple. Now, folks, let's not underestimate days like this. You know, we're quickly becoming a society where we just simply dismiss special gatherings and special occasions uh, for joy or worship. You know, nobody takes time anymore. Uh, we're in such a hurry today. We don't stop oftentimes to celebrate milestones, thanking God for what he's done for us. In fact, far too many people do not even set aside one day a week to go to the house of the Lord and worship him and give him thanks for what he's done for them. Uh, they just go about their business. But you know, we see that there are things that are well worth our time and efforts. And this was a chance also for the people to make a very important statement about themselves and about God and His watch care over them. It was a chance to ask God's blessings on the temple and all his people, and it was a chance to proclaim once again their devotion to God and the things of God. And so what I'm saying is let's not dismiss the importance of what we see here in chapter 8. And what we're going to see is the importance of seeking God and asking him to establish and bless his work. I want you to see, first of all, on your outline tonight, Solomon's work. Solomon's work, the first uh, 11 verses. And I want you to notice here that Solomon gathered the elders together. Now, these were respected men who were in charge of local government. They were in charge of matters of justice throughout the land. And they would have served as counselors and advisors to the king. Let's remember what the book of Proverbs tells us, that there is wisdom in the presence of many counselors. Uh, the heads of the tribes would have been the oldest living males within each family unit. Uh, they would have been the ones responsible for leading their families and knowing the law of God. And, and being the oldest, Presumably, they would have been viewed as also being wise. They've lived long. They've experienced a lot in life. And the longer you live, the more experiences you have, you learn a lot sometimes just by making mistakes, don't you? And so the elders and the heads of tribes, this is the perspective 
uh, they would have had and the benefit they would have been to the nation and to Solomon. Solomon gathers all of these together and the mission is very clear. It's time to dedicate the temple. It's time to transfer the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle, which was the temporary house of worship that they had with them in the wilderness, transfer this to a permanent temple. Now, if you were to go back to the very end of 1 Kings chapter 6, in fact, chapter 6, verse 38, uh, you would see that 11 months have now passed since the temple was actually completed. It was completed in the eighth month. And of course, it had taken seven years to build. Now, the timing here is interesting. Uh, it's significant, probably. The delay and the purpose in the delay between it being completed and now this time of dedication. It's not that this is something that Solomon and the elders have just forgotten, but they probably chose the seventh month. Why? What was it that would take place during this month? The what? Perfection. No. Well, yeah, obviously seven means a lot going through the Old Testament, completion. But there was a particular festival that would take place for seven days during the seventh month. What was that festival? The festival of booths or tabernacles. Now, do you remember what the festival festival of booth or booths or tabernacles was? What were they doing during that seven days? Living in lean-to structures. And they were to do this every year. This is one of their festivals. And what were they recognizing during the festival of booths? What they lived in coming out of Egypt. And how God had watched over them in the wilderness even though they were themselves in temporary structures. And it was, a, it was a time to recognize how God had provided for them during those years. Uh, and so this would have tied all that together. Now, you know, God's brought them to the promised land, and just like they've gone from temporary dwellings to more secure house, houses, now... God's house was moving from the temporary, the tabernacle, to a building, something more permanent. And it would have served as a reminder to them that God keeps his promises, the promises that he had made to the patriarchs like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And something else would have taken place during the festival of, of booths that would have been important to have the dedication at this particular time. Day of Atonement? None. Just the sheer numbers of people that would be in Jerusalem who have come to celebrate the festival would have been a much larger group. 
more people involved in this very significant event. And I want you to notice what Solomon is doing. He's having the priest take up the ark. He's wanting to do this right. He's wanting to be careful and honor God in the way things are done. And all the while that this transfer is being made from the tabernacle and this furnishings over to the temple now, they are sacrificing. And that's a reminder to them that they can only approach a holy God on the basis of sacrifice. That's very important, isn't it? It's important for us today. Folks, you don't approach God just any way you want. Today, we approach God how? Through Christ. The writer of Hebrews is clear in this, that the, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom in the Holy of Holies, and, and Christ has gone before the very throne of God, and we're able to go boldly uh, following him into the very presence of God. We go before God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You don't approach God based on your own merits, your own deeds, or your own resources or abilities. They had to approach God back then on the basis of these sacrifices. And it's a reminder to them and us today that sin costs. It cost the animals their lives in the Old Testament. It cost Jesus his earthly life on the cross. You know, people today can be just so cavalier and dismissive when it comes to sin. But folks, sin is serious business. You know, they placed the ark in the Holy of Holies beneath the wings of the cherubim. Uh, the poles that were left were also a reminder to the people that God had led them all the way through the wilderness. You know, they had to carry the ark by those poles. And, and this was a permanent building, but the poles that could be seen, probably a reminder of how they had carried the ark and that ark had moved with them from place to place, symbolizing Wherever they had journeyed through the wilderness, God was with them. They were never to forget this. You know, God, God didn't just simply say, hey, Moses, take the people, go through the wilderness, take this route. You know, you're finally going to get there. Once, once you get there, I'm going to meet y'all there. No, God went with them. And notice also there's nothing in the ark at this point but what? The two tablets. The manna and Aaron's rod that budded. Uh, those were symbols of the, the failures of the people and their groaning in the wilderness. Those are gone now and they just have the two tablets signifying God's word and God's covenant with his people. And what's the lesson here? When all else fails and when all else is gone, guess what, folks? The Word of God endures forever. Amen? Amen? Now, when everything was put in place, God's glory filled the place. Now, without verses 10 and 11, we might just be led to think of the temple as bricks and mortar, 
But verses 10 and 11 remind us of the holiness of the temple and that God chose to dwell among his people. Now later on in verse 27, Solomon's going to recognize a very important point. The temple didn't house God as though God were dependent on the temple. Rather, the sovereign God who dwells above the universe and all the earth, you know, all the heavens cannot contain him. But he was going to choose to meet with his people here at this temple and be in a relationship with him. He's not dependent on the temple. The temple can't contain him. Uh, but it would represent a place in the minds and hearts of the people where they could meet with God and where sacrifice for sin could be made. You know, the pagans back then felt like they could box their gods up and kind of confine them to that area, but not so with Jehovah God. And folks, we need to remember that balance today. Today, we're the people of God. We, We don't just encounter God simply by walking through the doors of a church. God dwells in his people today. We are the temple. But at the same time, a place of worship serves as an important marker where we can gather together collectively in worship. We don't worship a building, but neither do we discount the importance of meeting corporately together. A building's just a tool. It's not the focus. But let's remember what makes a church special is what? It's the fact that God is with us. God's in our midst. If God is not honored and God is not among us, we might as well cut out the lights and leave and shut the doors and lock them. If God is not here, what we do is done in vain. But God being with us individually, God being with us collectively as we meet together, that's what makes worship special. The second thing I want you to see in verses 12 to 53 would be Solomon's words. And first here, I want you to see a proclamation. Here Solomon emphasizes that what has taken place is a testimony to God's faithfulness, the fact that God keeps his word, as I said a moment ago. Uh, What has happened, the erection of of a building, is not simply because Solomon had hired builders. God has ordained this. Remember we saw last week how God had given the plans for the temple to who? to David, and David had passed along these plans that God had given him to Solomon. Now, we could say the reason we have a church and God has blessed us is because of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, that he would build his church. It's not simply because of what we do, but it's the fact of what the Lord is doing in our midst, and we have the opportunity, the honor and the privilege to join him in his work. 
So we fold into God's plan. God doesn't fold into our plan. We're to fold into His plan. And we always need to remember that. So that's, that's His proclamation. And beginning in verse 22, we see His prayer. Uh, Solomon asked in verses 22 to 26 that God would be gracious and merciful that he would continue his covenant. Then in verses 27 to 30, he asked that God would, would hear prayers, whether it would be his prayers as the king, or whether it would be the prayers of the people as they turned toward the temple. And then in verses 31 to 53, he lists out seven different scenarios in particular where he is asking God to hear. Now, before we get into these, I, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice the connection here between sin, repentance, and prayer. We can't just pray for God to hear and turn our situation around unless we're willing to repent of our sin and deal with our sin. I want to read for you Isaiah 59. Some of you may know this by heart. Isaiah 59. Listen to the connection here between prayer and sin and repentance. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth uh, to evil. He goes on and on in that chapter talking about, folks, why do you think your prayers aren't being answered? It's because you're continuing in your sin and rebellion. It's not that God can't see or hear or his arms too short to save. It's that there's sin, unrepented of sin. And we see that same focus right here in Solomon's prayer. That repentance, repentance of sin and answered prayer are linked together. And folks, we still need to know that today, don't we? We still need to know that today. You know, I could be speaking to somebody in here tonight. You don't have much of, of a prayer life or you don't sense answered prayers when you pray. And one of the reasons could be, I'm not saying every reason, one of the reasons that you would need to examine yourself over is there unrepentant of sin in your life? Because if there is, no wonder you don't sense answered prayers. So again, prayer and repentance go together. And, and look at the seven things he's, he's asking for. I've given you these on your study guide, I believe. Uh, justice in the land. Uh, military defeat. You 
know, if they're, they're suffering military defeat, they repent, they turn towards this place that God would hear. If they experience drought, famine, other natural calamities, uh, if foreigners come among them to pray, if their army's in battle, if they're captured and defeated, all of these different situations, he's saying if people, if your people, God, will recognize their need and their sin and their rebellion and turn to you in any of these scenarios, God, that you would hear their prayers. Is there any other verse in the Old Testament that this brings to your mind? What's a famous verse? How about 2 Chronicles 7.14? Listen to what 2 Chronicles 7.14 says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So again, verses 22 to 53, he's, he's offering this prayer about all these different scenarios that they might be faced with in the future. And if they turn away from their sin and look towards this place and pray that God would hear and answer. And then in verses 54 to 61, we see praise. Here Solomon turns from praying to God to blessing God's people. And he acknowledges that it is God who has given them rest. Now, folks, it may be hard for you and I today to appreciate these words, but I have a feeling if we had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and didn't have a land to call our own, and then finally God had given us a land and homes and rest, then we would appreciate these words a lot more, wouldn't we? And again, he's emphasizing here that God keeps his promises. And this is so important to understand. If God had not, had not kept his promises to Israel, then how would we know that God keeps his promises to us? Solomon urges that, that God would always be with them and help them to obey. So here again, you notice the condition here God's blessing that will go with what? The people's obedience. If people just want to live any old way they want to live and live in disobedience to God and rebellion to God or just forget all about God, but then they want God's blessings, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, does it? I want you to think about this. What if God's people always sought his face the way they should? What if we always walked in obedience to him? What might the world around us see? But too often times, what does the world see? They see people who aren't really any different than they are. Right? Now, the chapter closes beginning in verse 62 on several important notes. They sacrificed a huge amount. In fact, 
so much that the courtyard even had to be dedicated in addition to the altar because the altar couldn't handle everything. In verse 65, we're reminded that all of the land had a part in this from the southern reaches to the northern reaches. People being involved in this dedication. And then in verse 66, we're reminded what a joyful thing it is for a people when they're walking with God and the blessings of God are on them. Now, conversely, the Bible says that sin is a curse to any people. Folks, if only nations could remember this, right? If only nations could, could remember this. That walking with God in obedience and in fellowship with Him brings blessing, disobedience, brings curses. I want to give you some lessons. We need to, we need to remember special times, using them as an occasion to recognize what God has done. We need to remember special times, using them as an occasion to recognize what God has done. We need to seek God, remembering that it is His presence among His people that matters. It's His presence among His people that matters. We have the, we have the best buildings, the best equipment, the best of everything. But if we don't have God's presence with us, not going to matter one bit. The third lesson, God's people are allowed to get in on what God is doing. It's not that God simply blesses our work, but we get to be a part of God's work. We get this backwards, don't we? God bless what I want to do rather than people looking where God is working and moving and getting in on what He's doing. We get this backwards. And then a fourth lesson, prayer and repentance go hand in hand. Sin can rob us of so much. Can rob us of that close communion with the Lord and His blessings. And so when we cry out to God for mercy, we've got to remember that along with that, we need to repent of what got us in that shape to begin with. Okay. A long chapter. I just kind of dealt with it in an overview. We covered a lot of territory tonight in a little bit of time. Did you pick up on anything that I maybe skipped over that stood out to you? Yeah, it just shows what a special time it was. I mean, they took an additional set. The, feet, the festival of boots was seven days. They added seven additional days to it. 
Yes, for the glory of God. Absolutely. Good point. Richard. I have to imagine that when, you, when uh, the church was built here, it was dedicated, I imagine. I think that's the symbol of the first shovelful, you know, a lot of things people do. Right? Well, generally, churches today will have groundbreaking services. And then once they move into the facility, they'll have a big dedication service. Well, like us, when we moved into the sanctuary, we moved into the sanctuary Mother's Day of 2000, and then the next week, the week after Mother's Day, we had a huge uh, dedication service. And, and that's, that's pretty normal, what, what churches do. Yeah. One thing that shocks me here is the amount of the animals that were dedicated to yes. 20,000 cattle. Yes, and 120,000 sheep. Yeah. But it might have to be a huge amount of people. It might have to be millions of people. Yeah. Well, I don't know what percentage of the animal they ate and what part they didn't Right. And again, more people being in town for that special yeah. festival anyway. So, you know, as I pointed out, timing, timing this dedication service with the festival when more would be coming into town was... Very wise thing to do. And you know, that's why, you know, you come to the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost, celebrating the harvest. Uh, the time of year it was in, it was very suitable for travel. And so Jews from all over the world, because remember after the exile, many had, in the dispersion, had moved out to other places and only 50,000 had come back. So by New Testament times, there's more Jews outside of Israel than in Israel. But the festival of Pentecost was at a time of year when travel was easier, more pleasant weather. And people have come in from all these different regions and the Holy Spirit falls. And everyone hears the gospel in their own tongue. I mean, talk about, um, how, how would you say it? Uh, putting an evangelism, pumping high test into an evangelistic meeting when there's, think of the time otherwise, People going out to all these different regions and reaching those people. But you think what God did on the day of Pentecost, He brought them there. And then they heard the gospel in their own language. Sort of a supercharged evangelism meeting where people who otherwise wouldn't be there were there. And, and so these festivals were times, what I'm getting at, these festivals were times uh, when there would be more people that would, would, would be there. Scott, you know, that was one of the required festivals. Yes. Which would have brought a lot of people. Yes, exactly. Tony and I were just talking about sacrificing 120,000, mm -hmm. 14 days. That's like oh, about 9,000 a day. Mm. That's a That's lot. That's a bunch. It probably took them a while to get that many together, I mean, sure. I would think. I bet those priests were just... 
<laughs> and then the next morning they had to get up and do the daily sacrifice after all that. But that's yeah. a lot. That's a lot. Sacrificing yeah. in a day. Oh yeah. And then twenty-two thousand besides the hundred and twenty thousand. Yeah. One verse five says they sacrificed so many on the way up to it they couldn't even count. We need to be thankful that Jesus paid it all. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, aren't you glad you don't have to bring cows and sheep and goats and doves and things like that to church now and sacrifice? We might have it too easy. But again, it's a reminder. Think of that. You're bringing, you're bringing something spotless in your herds. And it's a reminder to you, your sin cost. It cost. That cost that animal its life. So sin is not to be taken lightly. 